0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Very excited to be with you, however you're taking in the show, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart, all the different ways that you subscribe to the GBB Podcast Network. We are happy to have you with us. And we're excited for our guest this this morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to us. It's going to be a great opportunity to, to talk Grizzlies basketball with one of the very best people to discuss it with here in a moment Uh, ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB live. You can follow the blog that we are connected to, of course, uh, that I am very fortunate to be the site manager of SB nation's grizzly bear blues at SBN grizzlies. You can follow me on Twitter. If you want to, that's a poor choice, but at Joe Mullinax, if you want to see people yell at me about Jonas Valanciunas and other things uh, and and call me uh, all sorts of names, you can follow me there at Joe Mullinax. I think you you can follow my co-host for this podcast, the associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. He's also our game day editor. He does a lot of the game coverage stuff for us there in person at FedEx Forum. Mr. Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing, sir?
1: You know, Joe, I'm doing really good. Uh, I guess like a lot of Grizzlies fans, we have a lot of of reasons to be optimistic about tonight's game day. And, yeah, follow me on Twitter at paca underscore flocka. You won't have to yell at me as much as you yell at Joe.
0: Well, uh, I get yelled at a good bit. And, and to be fair, a lot of it is probably deserved, uh, given, given how long I've been around now at this point. I've built out a reputation, uh, for better or worse, uh, among Grizzlies fans. But I appreciate, however you're listening to the show, however you take in GBB, it's appreciated. And like I said, we have a fantastic guest here with us this week, and we're very excited to talk to him. He's obviously very involved in the here and now with the Memphis Grizzlies. And he also is somebody who is experienced in the history of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, he played point guard in the NBA for 12 years. He's an analyst now for the Memphis Grizzlies. He played point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies for some time. Um, he's a big fan of the PAC 12. Uh, I love that when I'm listening to, to broadcasts, and he points out all the various PAC 12 representatives in the NBA, but he is quite simply in my opinion, and I'm a bit biased uh, part of the very best uh, broadcast team in the entire NBA uh, he and Pete Pranica do a phenomenal job for Bally uh, Sports. I want to make sure I say that properly now uh, with the switch. But it's Mr. Brevin Knight. Brevin, we're very excited to have you with us on the show. Uh, hope things are well and, and you guys are staying safe and doing all those things. How are you doing?
2: Oh, I'm doing great. Staying safe, staying well, enjoying this beautiful weather, but also uh, enjoying some good Grizzlies basketball here lately.
0: They've been pretty amazing, especially on the offensive side of things. And I know, Brevin, from listening to you over the years and, and admiring the work you do with Pete, you guys really oftentimes focus on the, the energy that the team brings on a night-in, night-out basis. And I know that's very important for a young team. Uh, so in, before we get into the 20th anniversary stuff, I'm just curious, as you watch them consistently, you know, whether it's Dylan Brooks and the swagger he brings – uh, whether it is the way that John Morant, especially you know, in the, at the end of that Denver game, the energy that these guys play with on a night-in, night-out basis to me from starting watching the team in 2011 all the way to now, uh, that's one of the major differences that I've seen is it's very youthful and it's exuberance, and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense because the team is so young, but just from what you've seen in the last two years, you know, this quote-unquote rebuild, uh, that, you know, it's the best rebuild ever because they're being so competitive. Uh, this, the energy that you have seen from this group of guys, uh, how does that feed into the broadcast, especially in this weird COVID uh, era, where especially on away games like tonight, you guys are not in the building. You're, you're there in FedEx form, but it's an empty arena, essentially, except for broadcast personnel. How do you take that energy and apply it as compared to obviously two years ago or a year ago when it was very different having full arenas to do this job in?
2: Well, I think the the biggest thing is we we understand that we don't want others to feel that we're not there, uh, e- even though it may be hard on us uh, in terms of calling it because we don't really have the vibe uh, of the arena. We still want to bring with our own energy. It's almost like mirroring what the team brings, and, and because they're going to go out and they're going to compete, they have to deal with adversity, but they still bring their energy and and the 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 requisite. Uh, attitude that you need in order to be successful is the same attitude that we we go into the gym is yes no people here but the people that are sitting at home they shouldn't feel that and so we try to just up our energy as as much as possible feed off of what we're watching uh whether it be a home game whether it be a road game just watching it off of a monitor uh it's it's been tough uh, because we're accustomed to just allowing the crowd around allowing the atmosphere to be a part of our broadcast, whereas now you you can't do that be just because you know that the people aren't there, um, so you have to kind of create that atmosphere. And so it's been it's been a, an adjustment for us, something that's been different. But uh, but we we try to just make sure that we don't dip in our energy to what the surroundings are.
0: And I think you guys do an awesome job of that. In fairness, because I I live in the Washington D.C. area and I have league pass and I watch games. You know, I'll watch a random game Kings and Hornets on a Wednesday night sometimes. Um, and I, you know, no disrespect to others. Cause I know, especially you in this line of work, you know, the time and the effort that goes into being good at this job. Yes. Um, you, you guys do a really, really wonderful job of carrying over that energy. You know, I don't tell a difference from when I'm taking in the game uh, in terms of how you guys would approach it. Maybe a, a Yelp on a John Morant dunk would be a little bit louder if yes. you had 17,000 or 18,000 people <laughs> freaking out about it around you. Uh, but I do think in terms of the way that you call the game, the, the actual focus on the execution of what's going on, the game plan, you know, all that stuff, you, you guys do a really, really good job of that. You are uniquely positioned in your spot as an analyst uh, alongside Pete that you guys have experienced various areas eras of Grizzly basketball. And you are even more unique because you played in an earlier era of Grizzlies basketball you were there around the peak of grit and grind in the late to mid 2010s or early to mid 2010s, excuse me. And now you're seeing this next era of whatever Ja Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., this crew of guys is going to be. As you reflect back on 20 years of basketball in Memphis, what what stands out to you in terms of things that have changed, things that have stayed the same? Obviously, ownership has changed. People that have been general managers have changed. But there are some things that remarkably, and maybe it's a testament to the city, that have stayed pretty consistent over the 20 years that the Grizzlies have been in town?
2: Well, first of all, I go back to day one, since I was here, since I I was with the Grizzlies from day one, once we, when we, we came here, they made the transition from Vancouver to Memphis. Uh, I was a part of that team. And and I still, to this day, uh, God rest his whole soul um, give Michael Heisley a lot of credit for where this organization still is today, because what he did was, Number one, he came in with a game plan of where he thought that this organization could be uh, down the road. Um, And then the the next thing for him was also getting them to win, but wanting the team to be a representation of the city and wanting the, the city to know that the Memphis Grizzlies are a part of Memphis. We want to be an extension of the city. So that goes into how hard we're going to play Um, that that work ethic will be the same the the care for the community and the people that are here because they give so much to the team we want to also give back and so uh, I think that things have been able to go uh, along uh, the plan has been there but I think it's been able to go smooth the entire way because it started out being in the right way it was never something that was different than Memphis it wasn't as if The Grizzlies are here and the city of Memphis is here. It's always been one cohesive unit. And so I think that has allowed fans to feel like this is their true home team. And so what has happened over these 20 years is it started with trying to change people's mindset because the reality was this was a college basketball town. The the University of Memphis at that time, Memphis State, that was basketball in Memphis. I, I don't care who else came through. When we when we got here, it was still we played in uh, in the pyramid. We were second fiddle to the university being in the pyramid. It was still more their arena. Um, And so to change people's uh, thoughts of NBA basketball, but also to get them on board with the Grizzlies, because now you're having to talk business season tickets. Yeah, a lot of people were, were Tigers season ticket people. How do we get you to be both? Tigers and Grizzlies fans. And I think that management did a great job. The players also did a great job with wanting people to feel as though they were as one. So I think that it just continued to grow. And now getting to this point, of course, going through grit and grind, which was a fantastic era before grit and grind, even when you had the teams with Powell and Shane, Jay Will, those guys that made it to the playoffs for three years, just couldn't get a win in those three years. But you could see that the organization knocking on the door. Then they finally found a great rhythm with the core four. You go on the seven-year run of, of playoff runs. You make it to the Western Conference Finals. You beat the number one seed in San Antonio. The great matchups with the Clippers and the Thunder every year. Um, and so the, because they started to have the success of winning, that just brought more fans. But we started from, you think 20 years, a lot of kids that were coming to games when they were younger, are now your adults. And so now those people become season ticket holders with their kids coming to the games. And so it's been fun to watch the transition and then for them changing ownership, but still keeping the mentality that we are still Memphis grown. This is still some, we are still entrenched in the city, but we just a different style of basketball. And so this style of basketball fits the players that they have, which is an up and down style score a basketball fast-paced game creative in terms of the highlight plays that they have the style matches the players whereas the grit and grind that style matched the players that they had at that time and so uh, i just think they've done a great job with as you say the transition from grit and grind by making sure that you had the players to be able to play a different style and be successful at it and so it's been it's been fun to be a part of the nurturing stage when nobody really it was still just how are we going to grow this? How long are you? The big question was, how long are the Grizzlies even going to be here? So how much should we be invested in a team that might not be here for too long? But then you start to see the commitment from the ownership groups that the team was going to be here. And so it's just grown over the years. And I'm, I'm happy that I've been able to watch it from infancy to where it is today.
1: I'm a part of that demographic of being a young kid going to games uh, when the Grizzlies came to Memphis, I was five years old. I'm 24 now, No kids or anything, but like I, I've been very invested from the, in the Grizzlies from start to finish. And I, I'm really curious because obviously at that point, I didn't really understand the dynamics of everything. but when y'all moved, there was a big overhaul in the roster. They brought in past first point guards like like you and Jay Will. They brought in Memphians, like the late Lorenzen Wright, Elliott Perry, and then they traded for Pagasol to be like a franchise cornerstone. Just describe like whether it's on-court, off-court, just the dynamics and the, the energy around that team and that roster coming into a new city, and especially now you were there for the, the beginning stages of a probably Hall of Fame career for Pagasol. So just describe just the dynamics and energy there surrounding that roster.
2: Uh, uh, Listen, it was a lot of fun because uh, the trade happened. So myself, Lorenzen, pal, came here uh, with a trade with the Atlanta Hawks. Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who was a cornerstone of the Vancouver franchise, fantastic basketball player, went to Atlanta. The three of us come here. um, And it was – I always tell people it was a little bit weird in some ways because for me it was my first experience with a – uh, was, say, an expansion franchise. Of course, not expansion, but we, in some terms, that's what it was. And so it was literally starting everything from the ground up, which was, number one, letting people know that we were an NBA team here in town. Uh, and then to be able to go out and try to compete in games where you know that you didn't have enough to win. But we wanted to show people that no matter if, if the chips were down, we didn't have the talent really to win, we were going to compete every night and to at least put forth a product that people would be happy for, happy with. And and so uh, it was fun to do that. And then also just to watch Powell who I had no, no knowledge of who he was at all until uh, we, we got traded here and to watch him play. And I always tell people we didn't appreciate Powell enough when he was a Memphis Grizzly. And we didn't because he was playing next to, as you say, the late great Lorenzen Wright. And there was a mentality of, How tough you had to be to play basketball, what basketball looked like to Memphians. Uh, And Powell didn't fit in that lane because he was an international player, liked to play more out on the court, wasn't very vocal, wasn't very demonstrative uh, in his play, but was very effective in what he did on a regular basis. And so uh, I, I used to just tell people enjoy his talent, enjoy the skill that he is because. You, you don't want to be one of those people that now you have to love them from afar. And that's what eventually started to happen. Uh, you, we, after he left, people started to say, well, dang, he was he was a lot better than what we even thought of when he was here. And so uh, I, I was just happy to be along for the ride, ride those coattails with him. Enjoy that. Enjoy. Uh, I had for so long had watched Jason Williams with his wizardry, uh, with the basketball and to be with him every day. Uh, watch the work that he put in, but just the love of basketball, Jay will was not gonna be big on all of the other stuff until it was time to put a basketball in his hands and you put the ball in his hand, it became he became a totally different person, and so uh it, it was it was fun to watch that and like I said, it was just it was just cool to see the city go from ah, we don't know to being fully on board after they saw number one how invested we were in the community, but also just how hard. We were willing to work on a nightly basis.
0: Pretty cool story there. And, and the, the fact that you guys have done what you've done. And again, you've been there from the beginning. You've obviously transitioned into a new role with the organization in the analyst uh, position. Uh, to, to see that growth has to be really remarkable. And that growth is also able to be translated to the on-the-court product, right? Uh, we're talking yes. with Brevin Knight here, uh, again, analyst for the Memphis Grizzlies. Does a fantastic job there uh, working with Valley Sports Southeast. Uh, played in the NBA for over a decade, obviously for the Grizzlies, as part of that process uh, here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Um, the the transition from grit and grind to the current era uh, is not just a mental one. It's a play-style one. And our one of our writers, Sean Coleman, did a remarkable job in the last couple of days writing an article called The Grizzlies Are on an Offensive Heater. And in this article, uh, Brevin, he makes the argument that the Grizzlies are playing some of the best offensive basketball they have ever played in the history of the organization. Uses all sorts of statistical data. You see it with your eyes every night. We see it on television. Parker sees it in person when the games are at home. I hesitate, and Parker can attest to this in our conversations in our our GBB Slack channel, we have a lot of guys that are very focused on how awesome right now is. And there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of reasoning for that. But we have to remember they're young. We have to remember that the team is essentially a 500 basketball team, which, you know, up, down, there's going to be inconsistencies. There's good and bad with that. But I guess for me to say that anything is the best it's ever been, looking back on the history of the franchise, even going back to Powell and his era, there was a pretty efficient offense being played for Coach Brown and with Powell and the organization. You know, there's a lot of things that – from watching the way that the organization has built itself up, I struggle at times, even if the numbers say it's true, to be able with my eyes to say, oh, wow, this is the best offense that's ever been played is the Memphis Grizzlies. So you are uniquely able to give some insight into that. Obviously, Ja Morant is the focal point, the dribble drive penetration, kicking out to open shooters, the fact that there are multiple three-point shooters, grit and grind Grizzlies fans are, are very excited that, You know, you wonder where these guys came from all of a sudden. Um, But you have Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen. Obviously, the Anthony Melton has grown his game considerably. Kyle Anderson has taken off thanks to his health and his shoulder that he's talked about recently uh, in the Daily Memphian and other places uh, with our friend Drew Hill. Uh, I'm curious, Brevin, you've seen a lot of Grizzlies basketball across a lot of different areas like we've been talking about. Do you think this is the best they have ever played? Does it belong in that echelon offensively? Is this something that we as, as bloggers, pseudo-media, whatever we are, uh, that, that we're getting too excited about? Uh, how do you perceive like the, the statement that this is the best offensively the Grizzlies have ever played?
2: This is the best that offensively that the Grizzlies have scored ever, oh, is, there you go. Is, is, a, is a better way to put it, because the, the grit-and-grind teams were efficient offensively. They just didn't have the possessions within games to score the amount of points. That, these team, that this team is able to score. That was more of a half-court-oriented offense, whereas this offense that we're looking at now is an up-and-down offense. The one theme or one thread that has stayed consistent through it all, and what this team has learned is the defensive effort has been there. The ability to force turnovers, and, but it's still a little bit different in that because this team can force turnovers, and then they have so many guys that can get out and score on a break that gives them the opportunity to score more points and be more and, and be a, a more efficient scoring team in that fashion. But once you start to say, if you want to break it down into half-court situations, then you go back to that grit and grind team because it was, you had pick and roll with Mark and Mike. You had Mike, who was a, a threat to either turn the corner or shoot it. Mark steps away, shoots threes, can create the next play. But it's the Zach Randolph effect that also gave them somebody that you throw the ball to into the post. And that was something that we did on a regular. Balanchunas is a player that you could throw the ball to into the post. It's not just the main focal point of this Grizzlies offense. And so I think that because the two teams played two different styles, very efficient in the style that they played. Today's Grizzlies team is just able to score more points than those Grizzlies teams. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact of, of course, the pace is there, but with that pace, the the amount of possessions within games has changed. And and a big part of it is they do have multiple three-point shooters at this point. And I always say these are guys that are capable of making threes, but they're more than just three-point shooters. For so long, we have been trying to find that three-point shooter. With Troy Daniels, we had him come in. Uh, And we tried to – we wanted everybody to look like Mike Miller when he was shooting threes here at the way. But in today's game, there are very few guys that are just higher guns as three-point shooters. What you have are guys that are versatile on the offensive end, and then you have those guys that tend to be able to make more threes than the others. So I think they've just started to find the rhythm of being able to play with the pace but also then take good rhythm threes that have created by off the dribble or with the, the break that they run, that has allowed us to be a higher scoring team. But I think efficiencies-wise, it has just fit. Again, we go back to the players and the fit and the style. The players that we have today fit the style of play that we're playing. The players that we had during grit and grind fit those style and those players. And so uh, I, I would just say – I would, I would kind of change to say it, it is a more – potent offense, a more high, high octane offense, uh, but efficiency, they probably right, were right along the same lines in terms of how efficient they were.
0: And that style of play being so different obviously connects to playoff success eventually down the road. And, and it's crazy to say this, Brevin, but I know you'll probably agree with this. The NBA has changed so much just in the last four to five, six years You know, from the peak of grit and grind. You know, I don't know. I mean, that team kind of looked like a dinosaur towards the end to begin with. They certainly should yes. be in that, in that regard uh, at this point because the only team that was still playing that style was, of course, uh, the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, when we come back from break, we have Brevin Knight, the great Brevin Knight with us. We're very excited to continue our conversation. There's a certain seven-foot-tall unicorn you may have heard. He, he's getting back into the mix here soon. If not, Wednesday night, very soon beyond that. How does that impact the rotation, the depth of this team? And we're also... Uh, as the young kids say, we're going to give Coach, Coach Jenkins his roses, his flowers uh, for all the success that he's had this season. Uh, we'll talk more about that on the, coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, joined by my co-host, as always, Parker Fleming, and our great guest at this time, Mr. Brevin Knight, does a fantastic job as an analyst for the Memphis Grizzlies over at Bally Sports uh, Southeast. Obviously played in the NBA for over a decade, talented guy, big fan of the Pac-12, just wonderful to have a chance to talk with him, very gracious with his time with us. And before the break, I brought up Jaron Jackson Jr., the three-point shooting, shot blocking, very young still, even though it feels like he's older than he is, arguably co-cornerstone of the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant being 1A, Jaron Jackson Jr. being 1B it adds to the fact that their success has been so impressive without him. He hasn't played a single minute until maybe Wednesday night or especially by this weekend, it seems that Jaron will be here, if not Wednesday, but that complicates things in terms of the rotation. So Brevin, I kind of have a two pronged question for you. Uh, The first part would be how would you, if you were coach Brevin Knight, which I know you're hesitant to do that for obvious reasons, (laughs) uh, if you were coach Brevin, Um, how would you bring Jaron Jackson Jr. back since he hasn't played since the bubble? And then on top of that, our GBB live question of the day was about the rotation. That's been something that's been talked about over on our blog. It's been talked about on Grizzlies Twitter. Should they go to an 11-man rotation? Our own Parker Fleming asked Coach Jenkins about that on Monday. And Coach Jenkins said that's something they've talked about. He kind of played coy, like he wasn't sure if it was actually going to happen. Coach Jenkins has stayed pretty true to that 10-man look. But if that were to happen and Justice Winslow remains a focus, Jaron Jackson Jr. is obviously going to play. You're going to have some guys that have played well for this team this season kind of fall to the wayside. So how would you bring Jaron Jackson Jr. back? And then in terms of the rotation, I I won't necessarily say who gets cut out, but the question of the day was, should it expand? Should the rotation go to an 11-man rotation? And most folks said that, that made a lot of sense. About 45% of the voters said an 11-man rotation made sense for this team. So how would you reintegrate Jaron, and would you expand the rotation given the way this season has played out?
2: Uh, first and foremost, I would if, – if he gets the all clear uh, and everyone says everything is good, then I'm throwing him out there in the starting lineup right away. Uh, I'm, I'm not bringing him off the bench um, because he will be a starter, so it's, you might as well get yourself ready for the role that you're going to play. Then that also takes care of what you're going to do with your rotation. Of course, some type of minutes restriction as he gets himself back into shape, but also as he gets himself uh, just acclimated to how this team is playing this season. And you want, him, want to allow him that opportunity. Um, and, but in ter- then in terms of the rotation, it's the reality of the NBA. Uh, is that when you have as many players as the Grizzlies have that have opportunities that have shown that they can be on the floor, there's going to be some odd men out. But the other thing is there are going to be still injuries. There will be illnesses. There will be other things that uh, won't allow you to say that you have this full roster every night to play. But even when they do have a full roster, for me to try to play 11 people realistically is too many people. Uh, because now you're, at, you're having guys play five-minute stretches, maybe play 10, 11 minutes for a game. And how much am I really getting out of you in such short stints? And so to me, it just has to become a situation, I think, that Taylor has done a great job of being able to communicate with players exactly what's going on. Tonight may be your night. Tonight may not be your night. They have the luxury of saying, are we playing against a smaller team? So now we use more guards or we, we can play a smaller big. Do they have a true big? Now we have to stay bigger, maybe on our. So it gives, them the, it gives them the flexibility to be able to play whatever style is necessary. But to just say that because guys have played well and you don't, and I don't take that away from what you've done, there still has to be a little bit of realism in terms of am I giving you minutes just to give you minutes? Because you play well, or am I giving you minutes because it works well for our rotation? And so that's it is a it's one of those things that can be tough for a coach. And it's tougher because you hate to leave a guy out of the rotation that has played well. But the reality is I can't play everybody. And and so that just has to be a message that gets across to this team and, and to their credit, from the coaches to the players. We haven't heard of it being a problem to this point. Guys have played a lot of minutes then missed got dmp cds where they didn't play at all but when their number was called the next time they still came right in with the right men, with the right mentality to still be good so uh i i'm i'm not a fan of starting to try to play 11 12 guys in a game i'm i'm the 10 to me 10 is a, 10 is a lot to say i'm going you're going to play 10 people in an nba game is is enough to try to worry about um and so uh, i i would i would tend to say if it was me i stay to the 10, depending on the situation. If we got to go to 11, um, then maybe you'll take the 11th or 12th guy. Uh, but for Jaron, it's, it's, listen, as you said, he's one of the cornerstones. And first and foremost, you want to know that he's healthy to be, able out, to be able to be out there and play. Uh, but I'm throwing him out there in the starting lineup right away to, just so that he can get going because he's going to play against other starters. So you might as well get used to playing against starters again right now. No, no need in trying to work your way back in. Especially, I think the time of the season also has a lot to do with this. This team is still in a heated playoff battle to try to get themselves. Hey, You want to keep trying to work to be a sixth seed so you don't have to worry about the playing. But if you do have to be in a playing situation, you want to be seventh or eighth. And so these are very critical and important games of still trying to win while getting Jaron acclimated to the season.
0: Absolutely. And it's a testament to the culture that they've built. The fact that these players are, are so willing, even at
2: least publicly
0: willing uh, yes. to, to be. Nobody able... is happy. Hey, sure.
2: I'll be honest with you. There's no <laughs> there's no pro that's happy with not having consistent minutes every night. We all that you, you would not be a competitor if you just went over and sat down and say, OK, that's fine. I'm all right. I'll just sit here and wait. You you want guys to to be upset because they want to be in there. You just want that energy to be channeled in a correct way. And that's what they've done a good job of.
0: I agree completely. That's exactly right. And just from the outside perspective, again, you're closer to it than me. I think you I see the exact same thing. And again, it's a testament to the culture that they're building, that they're in this place where they're willing to consistently develop, consistently develop a, a mindset that it's not just about me. It's about the team. Uh, Parker, I'll ask you the same question quickly. Uh, The question of the day was rotation based. You and I have both said that we would consider an 11 man rotation, but I think Brevin just made a pretty solid argument against it. Uh, I'm curious as to what your take on it is. Do you still feel after hearing Brevin's side? And again, I think it's well argued that you stick with the 10 and you, you know, have somebody that has played well, kind of get get to the side a little bit. Or do you go to the 11? And then how would you bring Jaron Jackson Jr. back into the full? Uh,
1: I want to go with that. the, the last question first. Sure. Just because it's really short and sweet, and it just kind of uh, goes along with what I've been preaching all season and even last season, is I would start Jaron Jackson Jr., and especially with Jonas Valanciunas in the concussion protocol, start Jaron at the five, because I think that's where, where the Grizzlies are their best. I think that could be a future possibility going forward. I just think with him at the five, it's, it's a matchup problem. And I know people say rebounding and I know that's what people come to you and your mentions about Joe, but <laughs> here's the thing. I, I looked at the the data last night when Jonas Valanciunas is off the floor, the Grizzlies create turnovers 17% of the time. So that's like grit and grind levels of creating turnovers. So you make up for that defense or the defensive rebounding with just turnovers. So I'd, I'd be very interested to see that. And, you know, I had said 11. At first, it really wasn't as deep. It was just kind of like I, I saw Coach Jenkins play 11 with a significantly less deep team. Like we were watching Guterich right. and Solomon Hill in that rotation. Right. And just seeing it now where, like, you're actually cutting out a good player or two out of the rotation it'd just be a tough pill to swallow. But, I mean, I think with Brevin's inside, it kind of like changed my view a little bit. And I think at this point, it's just figuring out which – Which bench unit works, especially whenever – I don't think they'll ever be a fully healthy team. I think there'll be people sitting out for nagging soreness, injury, stuff like that. But just trying to figure out who are going to be the 10 guys that you can rely on to win you games in this playoff stretch. And I I know this is something I kind of want to transition over to to Brevin because, like, Xavier Tillman has always been, like, the casual man out. Kind of easy, second-round pick, rookie – but he's played really well. And, I mean, I've had even, like, my co-host say, should they sit Brandon Clark for Xavier Tillman because of how well Xavier Tillman's played? And, granted, I know I see your face, Joe. It's a very reactionary <laughs> take. But just how, how difficult does guys like Xavier Tillman and his emergence kind of make it for the rotation? Because you have him. He's scored double digits consecutive games. And it's really weird to say that he did well against Jokic, considering he had forty-seven and fifteen. But he did all he can for a six-eight yeah. rookie. Yeah. So Nikola Jokic is tricky. one
0: of two likely MVPs. It's either him or yeah. Embiid at this point. I know exactly. Steph Curry's been red hot lately, but for the course of the whole season, it's either Jokic or Embiid.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, how
0: well,
1: how tricky does Xavier Tillman make things? Because he's played really well, but you also have guys like Brandon Clark that you got to develop. You have guys like Kyle Anderson, Justice Winslow. Jaron Jackson Jr., guys like that, you got to play. So
2: well, I, I think really... I think a big a big thing with the Xavier Tillman situation is he is different than all of those other guys. So he's a different player than Brandon Clark. So if you need a more physical big, because he doesn't have the height, where we remember you remember where Xavier missed, I think, three games or so on a extent where we were working Brandon Clark at the five trying to see if that was something that worked. And, and and to me, he's too small to play the five. and be, And because he's not physical. So there might not be a big height discrepancy between the two, but there's a physical discrepancy between the two of those guys. And so it all depends on if you have a, another physical big that's a rebounder that's coming in the game, or is this a game where you're running around with a bunch of light guys and they're just speedy guys. And so that that kind of would dictate a little bit in how you play. But I think X has made it extremely hard to say, well, we're just going to leave X out because he's a second-round pick. He's a rookie. We can do whatever to him. The thing about it is he affects winning. And I don't care where you were drafted. I don't care what year you are in the league. If you affect winning on a regular basis, then you're always going to have an opportunity to play minutes and have a chance to be in games. And so... I, I go back to I think that when they have this full, healthy roster, it is going to be – a lot will be dependent on who the opponent is and what type of style do they have to combat at that time. I mean, you go back to the Denver game, we go to the second half, Tyus Jones doesn't play in the second half of, of this last game. And a lot of that, I think, was for matchup purposes, to be able to have another length person on the floor – because the rebounding thing, you think about it, what hurt us against Denver? Offensive rebounds. And so what, So the Grizzlies had to figure out a way to put some more size on the floor. You couldn't get taller. We didn't have anybody else taller. But what you could do is just get bigger at other positions. And so uh, I think that that is the mentality that this team will have as they move forward in terms of who plays. Of course, there will be some regulars that you know are going to play every night that's just what it is. But then we're going to start to get to the 9, 10, 11, 12. Those guys will be kind of, I think it will, it will be, what do we need tonight? Well, who are we playing against? What fits better, best for us to give us the best chance to win?
0: It's like a baseball pitcher, right? Like you, you have a fastball, you have a changeup, you have a curveball, a slider. You have different pitches and different ideas for different batters. Similar concept here. You have a different lineup for a certain team. You know, if Jonas Valanciunas is healthy against the Nuggets, it makes sense to put him in there when Jokic is in there. But if Denver goes small or in a game like tonight, if the Clippers go small at some point, you have an opportunity where you can go a little bit smaller with Tillman or Clark at the five. I mean, there's even an opportunity, depending on matchup, Kyle Anderson with his size, his length, especially, depending on who he's, who's playing. Uh, You don't want to put Kyle necessarily on Jokic the entire game, but, I, I'm with you, and I've said that before as well. The idea of with this depth that you have, it provides opportunity for you to be malleable in terms of how you prepare for your opponents. And the good news is about that Brevin, and we'll we'll segue into our final question for you here. And by the way, we're talking with Brevin Knight of Bally Sports Southeast, great analyst on the Memphis Grizzlies, played for the Grizzlies. If you're a Grizzlies fan, chances are you already love Brevin Knight. You already follow him on Twitter, more than likely <laughs> at Brevin Knight twenty two. Uh, would be his Twitter handle. And I do want to make sure before we, we let you go, I want to give a shout out to Night Court, the, the podcast yes. that you do with uh, Rob Fisher. You guys do a great job with that as well. I enjoy that podcast. Uh, make sure you follow that at Night Court 22. I'm a, a big fan of that pod. So as you get ready for Grizzlies games, you can listen to GBB Live, you can listen to Night Court uh, and obviously everything on the GBB Podcast Network. Shameless plug there. Uh, but, but we'll get you out of here on this, Brevin. I know you're a busy man. Um, th- the fact that all of this talent is in place. It's easily one of the deepest teams in Grizzlies history. And there's me going away with hyperbole. Notice I said one of. Uh, I'm <laughs> about to say this Parker's is. This, at no. Me.
2: Right, there's no. You can say this is the deepest team the Grizzlies have ever had. Well, there you go. From from day one to where we are today, from the first guy to the fifteenth or sixteenth, whatever we have. Right. This is this is by far the, the the deepest team that this this organization has ever had.
0: And I agree with that because I think maybe in the, the peak of grit and grind, when you know you had Costa Kufas as the center and you had some, maybe like one through nine, one through 10, maybe might be better. But I agree with you. The 15th man on this Grizzlies team is better than the 15th man was on that Grizzlies yes. team. Um, and I think that's a great way to look at it. Taylor Jenkins has done a remarkable job, in my opinion, taking a roster that has been built. Again, we joked about it in the first segment. This is a, still technically a rebuild like you traded away Mike Conley your best player for a lot of pieces you drafted John Morant a very young point guard in a league where point guard play is easily the position where the longest development usually has to go into being really really good at it and they are in a spot where they were in the play-in conversation in the most unique season in NBA history that had to finish in a bubble they're in the playoff conversation as you mentioned earlier it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they go up to the sixth seed it's probably more likely they're in the play-in tournament, but it's possible that they get up to that six. They have shown improvement in a year that Jaron Jackson Jr. has not played at all. So right. leading into his return, whenever I see criticism of Coach Jenkins, and you can nitpick things in any game on any coach or player for that matter, in fairness to my, my critiques of players at times, um, but at the same time, the overall body of work, you know, Jonas Valanciunas is an excellent rebounder, excellent post scorer. He's clearly one of the most important players on the team, Taylor Jenkins, despite a play here, a decision there, the fact that the Grizzlies are in the position they are, I don't know that Taylor Jenkins gets enough credit. I mean, national media that's consistent across everything with the Memphis Grizzlies, but I I don't know from the own fan base that Taylor Jenkins gets enough credit for what he has done. Uh, am I right in that thinking? Am I correct in looking at Taylor Jenkins' job and saying he once again is doing a top five to ten job in the NBA with this group of guys?
2: oh, you you are one hundred percent correct and, and i I don't I don't watch or listen to much of what people say nationally. Uh, it's national for you people only national <laughs> people pretty much at the end of the day only watch or talk about the biggest name teams that there are not going through and doing some in-depth search or. Or research on every single team down to the last teams, and so uh, for 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 Taylor, I think that a lot of first of all, this front office did a fantastic have done they've done a fantastic job with assembling this group of players. Not going to leave them out, and then Taylor and his staff have done a great job of now maximizing this the talents from this group of players. Uh, I said it earlier, whereas I think that he has. And coming from a Greg Popovich chain, um, we've Boonhoser, they understand that there is a communication level in the NBA game that is almost bigger than X's and O's. Because at the end of the day, you're all, everyone in the NBA is talented. We're not going, the, the plays that you run, you know exactly what play the next team is running with all of the scouting, the film, you know exactly what they're doing. But can I get you to play hard, every night, first and foremost. And can I get you to play for one goal every night? Because I tell everybody, you are, as a coach, you are coaching 15 to 17 individual business people because this is still the business of basketball. I know a lot of people want to say, oh, sport. Yeah, for those that are at home watching, yeah, it's your getaway, but for the people that are in it, it's their job. And so the business of the game is, I still want to be able to do things that put me in a position that I can prolong my career. Taylor has done a great job of of getting the message across that if we are good and we win, then your career gets extended. If we are losing, this is the other thing that has helped with, the winning has helped be able to get those messages across easier, it has been enabled him to be able to play guys, not play you, play you short minutes, play you long minutes, be able to fluctuate with that with some guys because the end results are, are wins has, has been success for this new look team. And so I give him uh, and his staff the utmost credit with what they've been able to do with still there has been a lot of mixing and matching. We've had n- numerous guys that have missed time and missed games. But, the, and, you know, it becomes a cliche of the next man up. Well, they have lived next man up to the fullest degree with what they've been able to do to be in a position that they're in without arguably their second best player uh, and, and with, with Jaron not playing at all. And so um, I, I think that he's just done a good job. I think he's gotten better with in-game adjustments, being able to go in with a game plan, but then be able to adjust that game plan as to what is happening in the game that night. And so I, I think for all young coaches, that becomes the next level and the next step that you take in terms of getting better. The preparation side, the video that they watch, the analytics, all of that stuff that they do on the front end is top notch. Now it's just about the feel of the game also. You have all of these things in your head, but there's also just a feel for NBA games that you have to have as a coach. And I think that is where he has taken bigger leaps um, this year with this group in terms of being able to push the buttons within games, go into the locker room at halftime, point out what we've done well, what they haven't done well, and then for the guys to come out in the, in the second half and execute those changes. And so I, I think he should get uh, a lot of pats on the back. To me, top five coach in the NBA um, by far with what he has been able to do with this team, have us in the position that that they're in with the amount of games that have been missed by one of your better players.
0: I can assure you that Grayson Allen thinks he's the coach of the year. I, I can assure you that. <laughs> well, I mean, but we're, we're talking about development, right? Yes. Like Grayson Allen, when he first came here, and Parker has pointed this out numerous times, Grayson Allen was kind of an afterthought in that Utah trade. Grayson Allen was yes. a guy. Is he a rotation player in the NBA? Is he going to survive his rookie contract? Like that, those were conversations that were had. And those seem ridiculous right now because of the way that he's played in this scheme, executing the system the way that Taylor Jenkins wants it done. So whether it's Grayson Allen, whether it is, you know, Jonas Valanciunas, whether it is the Anthony Melton, the rookies that have come in, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, you know, these guys are getting opportunities and they're taking advantage of them, executing things the way that Taylor Jenkins has. And you're exactly right. The front office, the, the way that they've intertwined and intermingled has really been impressive. And I think Taylor Jenkins is worthy of all the praise that, that he is getting at least, on this podcast Brevin knight i appreciate you sir i know you're busy um good luck with the rest of the season the playoff push stay safe hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast down the road
2: oh well, i would love to come back on thanks you guys stay safe keep doing a good job oh, thank uh, you and we'll just we'll root this grizzlies team on to moving themselves up to that 60 they got a chance they got to play portland three times within 10 days right uh dallas you know they, dallas can be on an up and down situation and so getting jaron back You make just another push here, and you turn around and look at yourself as as not having to worry about a play-in situation.
0: Follow him on Twitter at BrevinNight22 if you don't already do so. Again, he's one of the best analysts on the NBA out there, and we're very fortunate that he does the job for our hometown here, Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, For Brevin, for Parker, I'm Joe. We'll be back next week. Thank you again, everybody, for listening on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, however you do it, uh, Apple, all the different podcast ways that you get 3 and D, Core 4, Starting 5, and of course, uh, the flagship here that's been around entirely too long, over seven years now, uh, GBB Live. Um, I'm, I, I remain the undertaker of blogging. I can't be killed. I'm still here, uh, but I'm happy to be here. Awesome opportunity to talk Bre- with Brevin. Um, just fantastic stuff. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks again to Brevin and Parker for their time. I'm Joe Mullinax. Grind forth through his nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blue Live.